Well, I want to welcome you back to our series that we've entitled Behind the Scenes, where we've been taking a look at what's going on in our world. We've been doing that by looking through the eyes of one of the great prophets that God called and used, Daniel, and listening through his ears as God spoke to him about what was taking place all around him And what Daniel experienced was not only current events in his time, but he also experienced a lot of things that were his future and which are in our future as well. And what we've learned so far from Daniel is that all of human history is moving toward a climactic event that's going to result in the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see happening through the eyes and the ears of Daniel is that humanity is just moving in its rebellion toward God and coming in alignment with Satan himself. And one day there's going to be an all-out rebellion of humanity against God. And it's at that time that the Son will return, the King will return, and defeat evil and defeat sin in this world and establish his righteous kingdom. And right now the world is looking at what's happening all around it with Egypt being the most uh, recent event fretting and worrying about what in the world is going on. But we've been peeking behind the curtains. And we see what's going on. And we know what's taking place. We know that God's in charge and God's in control. And everything is going to be okay. And everything is going to turn out. So let's continue what I'm calling the second half of our expanded study in the book of Daniel. And turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And... uh, Open up there because that's where we were the last time. You can open your Bibles there, your iPods, your iPads, whatever other gadgets that you happen to use. And uh, let's take a look and see what Daniel has to say to us. All right? Now, as you're doing that, let me just remind you of a couple of things. Daniel, in chapter 7, has received a vision from God. And in this vision, he sees some really strange-looking creatures that are a picture of world history and world powers. The first thing, as we move to our highly technical board here, the first thing that Daniel saw in his vision was a lion. And that lion came to represent the kingdom of Babylon. And Daniel was alive at this time, and he served under King Nebuchadnezzar, and then later on his grandson, Belshazzar. And God revealed to Daniel that, you know, the kingdom of Babylon was strong and powerful, but that it was going to be replaced by another kingdom, and that was the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, which was symbolized by a ferocious bear bear with three ribs in its mouth, standing probably for the three kingdoms that the Medo-Persian Empire conquered, the kingdom of Egypt, the kingdom of Lydia, and the kingdom of Babylon. Daniel saw this before it actually happened because God revealed it to him. And then Daniel saw this leopard-looking creature. It had four heads and had wings, which meant it was swift. And that represents the kingdom of Alexander the Great, which we know at the very end, when he died, was split into four different kingdoms amongst his generals, starting four different dynasties. 
And then Daniel sees a creature that he can't find any animal to compare to. It's a beast, for lack of better terms. And it has on it four, it has on it, excuse me, ten horns. And uh, it represents a future kingdom. It has some image of the Roman Empire of the past, but it was beyond the Roman Empire. It's like a global empire that will rule in the last days. And David has questions, uh, excuse me, Daniel has questions about this particular empire. And we want to look at his question and more importantly the answer that was given to him by one of the angels who was standing by the very throne of God. Daniel wants to know what is that fourth kingdom all about and here's the response he receives in verse 23. Then he said to me this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world trampling and crushing everything in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. But then the court will pass judgment, and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. So Daniel gets an understanding now of this fourth creature, this beast and its ten horns. And it comes to represent a person who the Bible speaks of in many different ways, and most popularly, he's known as the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a being who one day will, in essence, be the president of the world. The Antichrist is like Satan's CEO who will run the world for Satan. The Antichrist, in a sense, is Satan's alternative to Jesus Christ. It is almost an incarnation of Satan himself who will rule this world and set up his kingdom. And the Bible says a lot about this beast or this antichrist creature that comes to pass. There's a scholar who has written a book. His name is John Phillips. He's written actually many different books. And he kind of draws a picture in words of what the antichrist will be like. Listen to what he says. The antichrist will be an attractive and charismatic figure. A genius, a demon-controlled, devil-taught charmer of men. He will have answers to the horrendous problems of mankind. He will be all things to all men, a political statement, statesman, a social lion, a financial wizard, an intellectual and religious deceiver, a master orator, a gifted organizer. He will be Satan's masterpiece of deception, the world's false messiah. With boundless enthusiasm, the masses will follow him and readily enthrone him in their hearts as the world's Savior and God. Now, who is this person? Who is the Antichrist? People have been trying to answer that question for a long time with all kinds of speculation. Back in the old days, certain popes would be pointed out and Catholics and Protestants alike would say, ah, such and such a pope is the Antichrist. 
In modern times, John F. Kennedy was called the Antichrist. Henry Kissinger's been called the Antichrist. Ronald Reagan's been called the Antichrist. And yes, our own president right now, Barack Obama, has been called the Antichrist. Listen, the Bible doesn't tell us who it is. And we shouldn't go around naming people as the Antichrist when we don't have the sufficient information to do that. However, the Bible does tell us an awful lot about what the Antichrist is going to be like. And that's where we need to really clue in as to who this character is going to be like. I want to just share with you a couple of defining characteristics of the Antichrist that you and I need to be aware of and for good reasons that you'll find out in just a few minutes. So you want to jot these down, you're welcome to do that. But first of all, we know this much. We know that he's going to be a dynamic leader, a very, very dynamic leader. Listen to what Daniel says in verse 8. As I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. Over in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 5, we read this about this character. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. Now, what Daniel's saying to us is that the Antichrist is going to appear as a little horn and displace three of the world rulers at that time. Then he will grow in such power and dominance, will become so popular, that he will literally overcome the other seven and therefore lead the world. He's going to be a charismatic figure. He's going to be a great orator, a great speech giver, a great speaker. He's going to be extremely persuasive, Remember, he has uh, has demonic connections. And so he has also great power with his personality. Women will swoon in his presence. And men will look at him and say to themselves, I want to be like that man. What I need to remember, even though he's called a beast or he's called the Antichrist, conjuring up kind of hideous figures from the things that we read about in Scripture... Remember, Satan was the most beautiful and powerful creature that God ever created as far as angelic beings go. And the Antichrist is not going to be any different. He'll be very, very attractive. There'll be nothing hideous about him. He'll be very alluring and people will be easily deceived because of his intelligence and his capacity and his capability. He truly will be a dynamic leader. You say, Pastor, do you really believe that somebody like that could persuade the masses of the world to follow him? Let me give you an illustration. Let me talk about the last election. And I'm in no way at this point saying that our president is the Antichrist because he's not, all right? But I want you to watch the phenomenon of the last election. Think about the days that we're living in. Our current president rode a wave into the Oval Office of lots of excitement, lots of emotionalism, and lots of popularity. There's no denying that he's a charismatic figure. There's no denying that he's a good speech giver and that he's very persuasive. And, you know, we heard about people who were fainting at the rallies when uh, the election was going on. And we know that he was the media's darling and they really put the best spin on for him that they could. And we also know that those who followed him 
uh, really believed that he was going to change our nation and perhaps even change the world. Sometimes he was even referred to as a messianic kind of figure. And now the tide has gone out. And the reality is he's a human being, puts his pants on like all the rest of us, makes mistakes, makes poor decisions at times like all of our past politicians have done. And he's just another bureaucrat in Washington. That's what it amounts to. And I'm not really trying to say bad things about him. I'm just trying to say he's a very human being. But when the Antichrist shows up, folks, he's not only going to have the power of persuasion and the power of speaking and the power of knowing economics and knowing politics and being able to address the Middle East crisis and being able to address ecological kinds of issues. But this guy's going to deliver on what he says. And people will watch him and people will listen to him and he will produce the kind of results that will absolutely stun and amaze people and they're going to want to buy into his program and his system and they're going to follow him. Our world right now is poised. It literally is poised for somebody just like that. Right now, right here. We're we're ready. It's just a matter, as far as I'm concerned, of that person actually taking the stage and showing up. Which takes me then to another characteristic of the Antichrist. And that is, he'll be a deceitful leader. He'll be a deceitful leader. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, the Apostle Paul gives us this information. He says, this man, the Antichrist, the beast, whatever term you want to take for him in Scripture, will come to, the wor- will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. Who's that sound like? Forget the counterfeit part. But signs, powers, and miracles. Jesus performed signs, powers, and miracles. Legitimate power signs, and miracles. The Antichrist produces counterfeit power, signs, and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. Mark that down. They refuse to accept the truth and the love that would would save them. They refuse to accept the faith in the word of God and God himself. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Remember, the Antichrist has demonic power at his beckon resources that he can draw from and use to contaminate the world with deception. And because he delivers on his lies, because he's able to counterfeit miracles and by technology and other means, people believe that he's the real deal, the Messiah for the day, people will easily follow him. They will easily move his direction and move in his way. And he will set himself up and the world system up against God. And he will attack God in particular and the truth of Scripture in particular. Why? Because the truth of God, God himself, is counter the Antichrist, is counter the lies, is counter Satan. And Satan has to get him and get God's word out of the way. So what are some of the things that will be attacked by the Antichrist? Let me just share a few of them with you. First of all, there will be an attack... Uh, made against the Holy Trinity, a denial of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
There will also be attack against the deity of Jesus. Jesus is not the Son of God. He was a good man, but he's not the Son of God. There will be a denial of the inspiration of Scripture. The Word of God can't be completely trusted. Therefore, you really can't trust any of it. There will be a denial of salvation by grace through Christ alone. There are many roads to heaven. There will also be a denial of the biblical creation and the fall of mankind. In addition to that, he'll push on and deny that Israel uh, is the chosen or are the chosen people of God. They're God's special people that he has a plan for. There'll be a denial of the virgin birth. Again, going along with the denial of who Christ is. And there'll be a denial of the return of Christ. Now, think about it with me for just a minute. Just look at all those different denials. And that's already happening right now, isn't it? I mean, we're already living in a day and an age when people question God and question the Bible and question creation and question Christ and question Jesus as the only means of salvation and mock the whole idea that Christ is coming again. I mean, that's been going on for a very long time. And I understand that. And I accept that an unbelieving world would say that. But what troubles me more than anything else are the number of so-called Christians who are beginning to think that way and teach truth that is not orthodox truth based on the Word of God and taking views of the culture and kind of accepting the majority view of the culture as perhaps being a source of truth. And one of those movements within Christianity today is known as the emergent church. Now, not everything about the emergent church is bad. I think there's some really good stuff going on there. But some of the leaders of what is called the emergent church, I think, are flirting dangerously at the edge of heresy in terms of how they define sexuality and say God's word looks at sexuality and how they define the word of God itself. If there's ever been a time for you and I to stand firm on the solid bedrock of Scripture, it's now. Because when you start taking away one piece of the Word of God, then other pieces start falling away, and you end up where so many liberal denominations are today. They're nothing more than agencies who espouse positive thinking and just taking, you know, good attempts to try to be good religious folks with no absolute moral truth behind them. And that's the world that we're living in. And it's a troubling world and it will play easily into the hands of the Antichrist. Because the reality today is that the spirit of Antichrist is already here. 1 John chapter 4 verse 3 says, But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here, meaning the Spirit is already here. 1 John 2.18, John warns, dear children, the last hour is here. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. So we live in a day and age where the Spirit of Antichrist, though he may not be on the scene yet, the Spirit of Antichrist is very much at work in our world. There are many forces that are anti-Christ. There are many forces that are anti the Word of God. There are many forces out there that are promoting falsehood, false religions, compromises with the truth, and you and I are subject to that on any given day through the television, through conversation, through literature, through books, and our children and our grandchildren are bombarded by that all the time. 
That's why we're making a commitment here to the Compass Church to do everything we can to point people in the right direction, and especially our children, to know the Word of God in their hearts and in their minds so that when they're confronted by these lies, they will choose to stand on the truth. Amen? That's what we have to be about in these days because these are dangerous days. You say, how does... How does somebody like that get a foothold, though, to lead the world? I mean, to, to actually preside over the world itself. Well, one of the answers to that question is simply there is a leadership vacuum in our world right now. There has been for some time, and there is especially right now, a massive leadership vacuum. You know, they talk about the hole in the ozone layer. There's a hole in the whole issue of leadership right now. Look at our own country right now and tell me where we have a true leader, a a person, a man or a woman who can stand up to the plate and deliver solutions to the problems that we're facing. I look at our leaders right now and I say, man, are they incompetent. I look at our leaders right now and they're so self-indulgent. I'm sure you just read recently about one of our congressmen who sent a picture of a shirtless picture of himself to some woman on Craigslist, I look at that stuff and I just go, what is wrong with us in both parties? You know, I mean, where is the, where are the leaders today? Look at the world today. Where are the world leaders today? They're all running around desperate to try to find solutions and the solutions aren't there and a crisis comes up and they don't know what to do with it and they have a meeting and by the time they figure it out, there's another crisis. Meanwhile, the world population's like, who's going to help us out here? Who's going to bring the solutions? And I think one of the problems we have, and, and this has really hit home for me as I travel abroad and, and teach and train and talk to people, is that we have a tendency as Americans to think that everybody else thinks like us. As Americans, we pride our independence. You know, we think we're fairly smart and we're fairly well-read well and we know what's going on around us. Listen, folks, most of the world doesn't think that way. Most of the world is looking for somebody to fill their stomach and they're willing to pay the price of surrender and even worshiping that person if they'll do it for them. Most of the world does not think for itself. Most of the world asks somebody to think for them. Most of the world. And so, given today's scenario, what's taking place in the world, it's not a far-fetched thing. It is not a far-fetched thing to think that people would literally sell their souls for somebody to put food in their stomach, for somebody to promise them some measure of prosperity, for somebody to bring some kind of sanity to what they see as the insanity and the chaos of this day. And that's why you and I need to be really tuned into these things. You say, well, what's the strategy that, that the uh, Antichrist is going to use? And to answer that question, what I want you to do is I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the very last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And I just very quickly, in chapter 13, want to walk through with you how this kind of comes to pass, how the Antichrist creates his strategy. Revelation chapter 13 is literally a picture of what Daniel had in chapter 7. But in chapter 13, instead of Daniel's vision, it's the vision that God gives to John. And I just want us to kind of go deeper now into our understanding of how the Antichrist is going to work. Verse 1 starts on, it says... Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns, 
with ten crowns on its horns, and written on each head were names that blasphemed God. What have we learned so far? We've learned that the sea represents humanity. And the picture here, because Daniel saw the sea as well in chapter 7 earlier on, the picture we have here is humanity in turmoil. And out of this turmoil steps a figure, steps a personality that brings calm and brings peace and brings direction. Verse 2. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. So gone is Daniel's picture of what the beast looks like. Let's introduce the picture that John has of the beast. And it's a leopard with these various heads. It has a combination of a lion. It's a combination of a bear. It's a combination of a lion. And as I already said, the leopard, what that is... Is simply the Antichrist is a combination of Nebuchadnezzar, it's a combination of Cyrus the Persian, it's a combination of Alexander the Great, and all the Caesars rolled into one great, powerful, deceptive, swift, tactical leader who's going to emerge on the world scene, and the world's looking for that leader. Verse 3. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshipped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshipped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed, who is able to fight against him? You all know your history, maybe some of you were alive at the time, when John F. Kennedy was shot in the head. Let me ask you a question. What would have happened if they had laid him to rest in state and he rose to the dead three days later? What would have happened in the United States? What would people have done? They would have gone bonkers. I mean, he would, you talk about having high approval ratings, right? People would have just, people would have worshipped him as a result of that. It appears from scripture that this character, this individual is going to be wounded, will die, and will counterfeit the very miracle of Jesus himself by rising from the dead. And when that happens, the world will bow at his feet and give him anything he wants. This is going to be a spiritualistic political kingdom, folks. Unlike anything we've seen before. And you and I live in a highly spiritually charged world. When I go to Asia, I go to Europe. They may not want God. They may deny God. But they are very, very spiritual people. They're very much into the occult. They're very much into the spirit world. Gone are the days of rationalism. In are the days of being spiritually hip. The whole idea of new ageism. And they'll easily fall for someone who counterfeits a miracle like that. And they will worship this person. And they'll worship the power that brought him back to life. Verse 5. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. Did you read that? He's given massive authority. He's given massive appeal. He has great power now over the world. It just just happens. It's so easy because he delivers on what he has to say. And he chooses to pick on Israel. Why does he choose to pick on Israel? We're going to talk about that for the next several weekends. But he hates the people of God because he hates God. And he hates the people of God because they're in the way. They're stubborn. They want their land. They want their own rule. 
And so the Bible teaches us in other places that we'll be looking at in Daniel chapter 9 that he will actually make a peace treaty with Israel. And he'll seem to bring peace to the Middle East. Three and a half years into that, he will break that peace and he'll attack the people of God. And that's what ushers in the final battle known as Armageddon and the return of Christ. Understand, what's happening in the Middle East today is a setting up of this scenario. Whether it happens in 10 years, 30 years, I don't know. But it's all being moved into the pieces. See, Israel will one day, the Bible says, be surrounded by her enemies. And they will come in alliance against Israel. Israel will have no more friends, including the United States. She'll be all alone, and it will look like there's no hope for her. And that's when God intervenes. And the stuff you see happening in Egypt, Tunisia, Lebanon, Jordan, the things that have happened in Turkey and Syria, the Russian alignment with Iran, that's all biblically forecast in the book of Ezekiel. None of this should surprise any of us who know the word of God. None of it should surprise us. Everything's being set up just like God said it would. These are fascinating days to be alive. There's stuff going on right now that was prophesied about thousands of years ago through God's prophets. And you and I have a front row to see what's taking place. And it should excite us, but it should also warn us that the end is coming and we need to be ready for that. And I'm not telling you when the end is coming. And it could be a while yet because God's timetable is so different than ours. But I'm telling you right now, if you know God's word and you understand what's happening in the culture, something's happening. Something's being set up for a great and future event. Now, you have lots of questions about, well, what's this mark of the beast business? And is the church going to be around here when the Antichrist is around? I mean, isn't the church taken away in what's called the rapture? And exactly what is the tribulation? We're going to answer that over the next six weeks. That's why I had to expand the series. Couldn't do it in two minutes. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I want to tell you about some things you and I have to be about. Some things that you and I have got to start thinking about as we look toward the future. Because if you keep reading there in Revelation chapter 13, what happens is the Antichrist loses and God wins. And God wins. And that now, not only means that God wins, it means that God's people win with him. Amen? We end up being winners as well. So what should we do in the meantime? Number one, we need to make ourselves and our children and our families, we need to be aware of what the word of God teaches about these things. You and I need to know what God's word has to say to us. And this really came home. I was having my devotions the other day in the book of Revelation. And I read these words and, and they jumped out at me. Julie and I were having a conversation earlier today about, you know, sometimes you read the word of God and, and, and you know, it doesn't really say a whole lot to you. Other times you read it and, boom, it jumps right out at you. And you're like, wow, that was for me. Listen to what Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 says. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. Now as God blesses the man or the woman who then teaches these things to God's people. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says for the time is near. Did you hear that? He not only blesses the ones who teach it, but he blesses those who receive it and then obey it. 
And that word is spoken to you and to me this weekend. God is saying to us, know what I say, trust what I say, and obey what I say, and you are going to be blessed. The other thing that comes home to me as I think about how we should live in these days is, not only should I live with awareness of who God is and what God has said about himself and about the world, but I also need to live invested in what God has called me to do until he comes back again. Revel, uh, Luke chapter 19, uh, there's a fascinating story, a parable that Jesus tells. You can read it all on your own, but let me just re- begin reading it for you in verse 11. It says, the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story, listen carefully, to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. So Jesus tells them this story because he could tell that everybody thought the kingdom of God was going to happen right now. And it wasn't. So he wanted them to hear this. And you and I need to hear it. He said, a nobleman was called away to distant empire to be crowned king and then return. That's Jesus. He's going to be resurrected. He's going back to the Father. And someday he's coming back. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I am gone. And then if you keep reading that parable, the king finally returns. And when he returns, he looks at his servants and he says, let me see what you have. How did you invest what I gave you? And for the one who had... 10 and invested it and got more, he's proud of him and he gives him an attaboy. The one who has five invests more and produces more and he gives him an attaboy. But the one who just kept what he was given and buried it in the dirt, didn't do anything with it, well, you read the parable, he's got some things to say to that guy that aren't very nice. In other words, the, the king expected that when he came back, those he entrusted his investment to would take that investment and multiply it for him. Same thing is true in your life and my life. We only have one life to live. And God gives us gifts and talents and abilities and resources. And when the day is over, God's going to be very interested in how we have spent it all. How we've used it all for his glory and for his honor. See, what do you do in that suitcase up there? Well, this suitcase kind of represents how we're supposed to live. My uh, daughter-in-law just gave birth to uh, our uh, third grandchild, Alexander. And you know, before she went to the hospital, a long time before she went to the hospital, because she's extremely organized, she had her bag packed, ready to go to the hospital. But listen to this. She didn't stand there the entire nine months at the door with the bag in her hand and her husband, my son, in the car, having it warmed up, ready to go. No, it was packed, it was ready, but she went about her daily routine until the baby called. And then she grabbed that suitcase, her husband got in the car, and they went to the hospital. That's how you and I are supposed to live. We're supposed to have our bags packed. We're supposed to be expecting our Lord to return. We're supposed to be ready to go on the journey and meet him in the air when he comes. But while our bags are packed, we're supposed to go about our daily routine Living our lives for Jesus Christ here in this world. 
and not living for ourselves and not living for a false kingdom and not falling into deception materialism, but living on mission for a purpose to let the world know that God loves the world, that he gave his son for a dying world and to introduce them to Christ and to use our gifts and talents and abilities and resources for the greater glory of God. That's why we've been left here. And that's what we need to be about so that when the king returns, he can look at us and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's stand. Let's pray. We've got some great and exciting weeks ahead of us as we watch what's going on in the news and see what God's word is saying. These are exciting, exciting days. Lord, as we leave this place tonight, go with us. Guide us. Direct us. God, use us for your glory. God, help us not to sit on our hands. Help us not to fret and worry this weekend. But help us to walk out with a mission, Lord, to change the world that's around us. To bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, amen. God bless you and have a great weekend.